0: Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your
1: hosts. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. menes Welcome to the show. Let me introduce my panelists this week. Uh, I've taken this from Gav's Twitter bio. He's written about himself. He's a freelance cricket and sports writer. He's addicted to sport all around the world. He's author of the book Teen Thunder Down Under. He's also got a photo of him standing proud as punch next to the great Australian batsman Arthur Morris. Welcome back, Gav Joshi. How are you? Hello, I'm good, Menes. Nice to be back. Did you enjoy your northern adventure?
2: I did, yeah. Great weather, good cricket, Watching some of the future stars of Australian cricket
1: Excellent And joining us for the second time We welcome back Lisa Stelaika Her Twitter bio reads Was an Australian cricketer So she's immediately trumped all the other Twitter bios <laughs> I've written out uh, She's now a Sixes BBL player IPL, ICC and 10s sport cricket commentator Cricket writer and coach Sports Tragic Welcome back to the show Lisa
3: Thanks for having me
1: Now, when you were last on the show, you were a retired player. Now, you've just played out the women's BBL season. You played in the final of the women's BBL. How was that experience?
3: Oh, look, it was an amazing experience. Uh, Firstly, to to come out of retirement for the WBBL, uh, I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity of playing with my mates, something um, that they don't tell you when you retire that that's probably what you're going to miss the most. Uh, so I enjoyed it. We, I didn't enjoy it when we lost eight games straight, but then I did enjoy it when we uh, found our way into the final. But unfortunately, Sydney Thunder were the better team on the day.
1: Well, you were instrumental in uh, getting the sixes through to the final. You took three for nine in the semi-final versus the Hurricanes. So big performance. So that was a good, good day for you?
3: Yeah, it was. It was finally a, a time that I contributed with the ball. So um, uh, otherwise, I was constantly questioning why I was coming out of retirement.
1: Well, we've got a big show today. We've got plenty to get through. We've got a sledging quiz. We've got uh, some women's Big Bash chat. We're going to look at the one-day internationals played. And uh, we've got no commentary critique segment this week. I've left that out because we've got two commentators here. Gav was had a go at commentating up north. Lisa, a professional commentator. So I've left out the critique Uh, Good decision. But I was wondering, you know, if you guys have got any tips for commentating, you know, since you've been in the commentary box, what you've learned, any lessons, any shockers, talk to the listeners. Take us behind the microphone.
2: It's good to have a professional next to you because let them dictate and then you sort of give, you know, add your little couple of cents worth. But, you know, sit back and watch how the professional do it. Well, Lisa will probably give you a little bit more than I do.
3: Yeah, it's certainly a skill that. (laughs) you're not quite sure of when you first go into the commentary box you think you can just talk about cricket because you love it you're so passionate you you know stories behind it but it's the timing of it all that's the real um, skill behind commentary so um, whilst I'm still learning this art like Gav said is to learn from the the guys that have done it for a lot longer so I've been fortunate enough to to work with some of the greats um, from a commentary point of view so I do like have sit back and listen and write what they've actually said to t- to try and teach myself of what I need to say at certain times.
1: Any particular commentators that you look up to?
3: Oh look, I, I really like Alan Wilkins. I think he's he's really good. Um, Ian Bishop, he's pretty cool cool, calm and collected. I've done a lot of stuff uh, with Danny Morrison. So you've got him at the other spectrum um, where he's a very theatrical commentator and T20 cricket is great. And then you've got um, Sanjay Mandraker and um, Sonny Gavaska, who doesn't say much, but when he speaks, it's quite funny. It's quite dry sense of humor.
1: And as you sort of try and find your own style, what what are you looking at? Do you want to be someone that... Uh, talks a lot or someone that uh, delivers sort of poignant comments? What sort of style are you trying to develop for yourself?
3: Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm only second year into, I guess, my new career. So um still trying to figure out what is my best asset. All I know is that I do like to have a little bit of a joke and a bit of banter with my co-commentator. So that hopefully shows that I'm enjoying my workplace, but also I'm, in my opinion, I've got the best job in the world. I'm sitting back in an air-conditioned box, uh, watching cricket.
2: I must comment uh, just you know before you go ahead is the amount of time we had over in Townsville as well because normally commentary stints are about twenty minutes or half an hour, but we had to commentate for pretty much hundred overs. So it's important to have a lot of content there, as Lisa said, it, not just cricket but around cricket, but just other things. So um. Yeah, it's it's not as easy as it sounds. And I was, you know, I I remember like after I did it with Lisa, working with Mel Jones later on. That the night before, I wanted to have a few points that I wanted to discuss because doing it for hundred overs is is a big challenge.
1: Yeah, I think one thing that you, if you look at a lot of commentators, is the amount of work that goes into it, the amount of preparation. But Gav, that's well, both of you, that's a tough gig doing one game the whole day with no breaks. Um, having to try and keep up material and not say the same thing over a very tough gig. But Lisa, you were in an interesting position last summer and it's a position Michael Clark found himself in the summer before where you were commentating and playing at the same time. <coughs> How did you find uh, treading that line? You know, obviously you're commentating on some opponents that you're going to be playing against. How was that?
3: I, I guess you do need to be wary because I, I, I guess I still have a playing cap on whilst I'm, I'm commentating. Uh, The main thing is just for me, especially with the WBBL, it was all about enlightening the viewers on the stories behind the players because especially for WBBL and and the state players, they wouldn't have had that kind of exposure in the past. So it's sharing that and then also letting them know the tactics involved in T20 cricket. So, yes, you've got to to call out um, a spade a spade when something happens on the field that someone didn't perform as well as they would have liked, but... You can always twist it, and I think language is a is a huge part of getting your messages across without it coming across bluntly or whatever, or upsetting whoever you're talking about.
1: It's just hard to stay objective when you're, you know, commentating on a competition you're participating in. I think it worked well last summer, definitely. Um, but yeah, interesting one, interesting one for you having to tread that line because, you know, you don't want to say something about an opponent and then it come back to bite you when you're playing them.
3: Yeah, no, you do. And obviously writing as well. And But I think the female players especially need to understand if they're going to get the type of coverage that they got last year, hopefully more people will start to scrutinise selections or... Performances—it's not going to be all the fluffy stories anymore. If they want the limelight, then they've got to go with the fact that they've got to perform, or people will scrutinise what they're doing.
1: Well, interesting stuff. Great to have two commentators here. Now let's move on to the Sri Lankan One Day International series. Australia have gone ahead in the series two one. They beat Sri Lanka overnight with by two wickets. But all the news this week has centred around the Australian captain Steve. Smith leaving the Sri Lankan Tour and coming home after the second one-day international with the series locked at one all. I'm going to start with Lisa. What do you think of uh, Smudge's decision to come home? Or the decision?
3: I was going to say, it's not his decision, I don't think. um, And he came out in the press saying he needed convincing to leave. I think you speak to all players. They want to play all the time. Ideally, it's not great that he went home uh, with it locked at one all. You'd like to either miss the ODIs. So come back after the Test series or play the first three or or until the series has been decided. Uh, I don't think we know the full story. Players always have to put in their AMS of how they're feeling, sleeping. There might be more to it. This is the first time he's captained um, at Test cricket at the subcontinent and found it really tough and difficult. So we don't understand what's going on around him and and how he's coping with things. Uh, So I think we probably need to give there needs to be a bit of leniency and understanding. What
2: do you think, Gav? Yeah, I mean, to the public. I mean, is given what's the insights of she's been there as a player. But from the outside point of view, it, it just almost looks like, especially when we've lost 3-0, uh, it just looks like somebody's waved a white flag. And to the public, at least... Whether it's the right decision, well, probably not because, you know, it almost shows that we're losing and why is the captain going home? They've said that there's been a fair amount of planning going into it. Now, if Steve Smith's on tour and there's other captains who've been whitewashed, you could, I mean, Alastair Cook's probably one of them, a couple of whitewashers. How would, you know, those people feel if the captain decides to come home? It's just not right. If there were, and I think Darren Lehman said that, we've been planning for this, if there's going to be plans in sort of going ahead, then why Steve Smith, I think, should have played this one-day series but rested for the five one-dayers coming up in South Africa? Uh, That's my opinion. But as Lisa correctly pointed out, this is from what we hear from the outsider's point of view. What's happening inside, there could be, you know, we might hear about it in the next couple of weeks when Australia return home. But uh, I, I frankly think it's not the cr- right decision, especially out to the Australian
1: public. Well, you're not alone in that sense, McGav. I, I'm. Uh, look, this week has been a really tough week for me. For a start, I think all the vitriol that's come out towards Steve Smith has been totally undeserved. Uh, Ex players like Michael Slater, Michael Clark, Matty Hayden, uh, everybody on Twitter seemed to had a go at him. Steve Smith gives his heart and soul to the Australian team. He gives everything. If you watch any game, you'll know he gives 110% all the time. (laughs) And perhaps that's the problem. Perhaps he's been giving 110% for so long he just can't do it anymore and he's burnt out and he needs a break. But for him to receive so much criticism, I think he's undeserved. He's totally committed to the cause. He said himself in the press conference he didn't want to come home and he hates missing cricket. So it's a decision that's been taken out of his hands, maybe doesn't look good to the general public. But if you've just watched this tour closely, as the tour has gone on, Smith has clearly been worn down. I mean, he started off in that first test really calm, and by the last one day, he was probably blowing up. He was blowing up at everything on the field, and you can imagine how much he was probably blowing up in the sheds. And they've said, look, mate, you need need a rest.
2: But is the criticism pointed directly at Steve Smith? I don't think it is. I think it's sort of pointed at the whole Australian... Uh, you know, it, whether that goes from Pat Howard, it goes to Darren Lehman, the selectors. I think it's pointed at Australian cricket in general rather than Steve Smith. I think nobody's denying the fact that Steve Smith's putting in, you know, a, a hearty effort in. Nobody's denying that. It's just that he's been forced to make a decision and that's where it's gone wrong.
1: Well, I think some people have been criticising. Opposing captains have said, I wouldn't have done the same thing. I he's think- He's been caught in the
3: crossfire, I think. Yeah.
1: I think there's no doubt Steve Smith is right now sitting somewhere going I wish I'd stayed on tour and the other thing that annoys me is if you follow the Australian one day and T20 sites we never have our best 11 on the park at any one time there is always someone resting or injured or unavailable for a particular reason so it's it's no great surprise that Steve Smith is resting from a few games obviously after such a tough tour people are really jumping on it but we rarely have our best team on the park unless it's a World Cup. Well,
2: Brighton Coverdale on Crick Info wrote, I think, an article that hit <laughs> a nail on the head because he basically said, if Steve Smith plays all the allocated games this year, nobody in World Cricket would have, uh, in terms of captain, would have played so much amount of cricket, apart from, I think, 1997 when, I think he said, Sachin Tendulkar, um, and what happened at the end of 1997 when Tendulkar had captained such amount of games? He was sacked. So... That article hit the nail on the head, uh, but look, it doesn't look good for me, but that's modern, modern day cricket, isn't it, Lisa?
3: Yeah, I, the, there's cricket going on left, right and centre. I mean, even, I think you tweeted about the next 30 hours, there was four or five different yeah. games going on, so it's so hard to keep up with it, uh, and the play is always going into different formats. I think he wants to play white ball cricket. Uh, obviously, he's got five ODIs in South Africa coming up, so... He would have wanted to test himself, maybe in Sri Lanka, and then for some for whatever reasons he had to come home. It's hard; you, you have to juggle the schedules. I think I would have liked either he came home before the ODIs or he played um, till the series was won or lost. Yeah,
1: that's a slippery wicket, though, isn't it? Because if you if you're doing that, then if it goes to the fifth game, you know Smith doesn't get his rest. And one thing that was called into question, and he was asked the question at the press conference after he announced that he was coming home is where he sees his uh, IPL future and how he, where he sees that on his list of priorities. And Smith was very evasive about his answer, but he did say he thinks he owes the IPL a lot to his whiteboard development. But I guess, you know, he went over to the IPL only for a month this year, but that month maybe he could have been resting then rather than resting now. That's, I guess... The question moving forward is whether he can continue continue to be involved with the IPL. What do you guys think?
3: Well, that six weeks that the IPL has run is where the Australian cricketers have their leave period. So then it's up to convenient, yeah. So that's up to the players whether they want to play or not. I think um, having gone over to the IPL, you certainly see players develop and learn their skills and traits on those type of wickets because the games are back to back to back. So it's almost like they get one opportunity just to focus on that. He wasn't captain, so he hasn't got that pressure, so to speak. So he can be a little bit selfish and work on things that he wants to do. I think he will assess as the schedules start to get busier and busier whilst the whilst he's captaining all three formats and playing all three formats, he needs to manage his workload. So I think we'll we see a point where one day he will choose not to play the IPL. Will that come next year? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, um,
2: IPL gets blamed for everything. All the world crises seem to point everything at the <laughs> IPL. Let, let it be terrorism. Let it be financial crisis. Let it be cricket, gambling. Everything leads to the IPL. It's always the case, Menace. But look, he play, he'd still had a month off. Um, and I, Steve Smith's that type of cricket. If you watch him going to training, he trains, he practices batting for three hours. At the IPL, he could just sit back and you know not have his bat for about thirty minutes at uh, playing for Pune. Uh, but instead of instead of that, he actually goes to the nets and practices for three hours. I've seen him do that even at net session. So he's that type of the character that he loves having. You know, long net sessions. So he likes to overwork his body, and that actually suits him. That's just the style of player he is. I mean, David Warner. If we think David Warner sits back in the IPL, we probably wouldn't know how successful he was as a captain. Same criticism's also been spoken about AB de Villiers, who's not playing for uh, South Africa in the Test match, and he played in, in the CPL.
1: Whether he should be
2: doing that as well? The Indian players always get sort of criticised. Yeah,
1: but it's, Steve, Steve Smith's paid millions of dollars. Yeah,
2: but 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 it's not for money. It it, it can't be for money. He actually enjoys. It. If it's it's about development, then it's surely it's helping his game. It's helped David Warner's captaincy. Mitchell Johnson in 2013, as I keep going back to, John Wright, the Mumbai Indians coach, sort of got him in the right mindset saying, you're not an Alan Davidson, you're destined to be a Jeff Thompson. So bowl like it and sort of change something in his mind.
1: Look, I'm not trying to denigrate the IPL at all. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think Smith is going to have to prioritise his time better. And he is in, and this is another thing that annoyed me about all the Smith bashing. No captain has been in his position. Captaining all three formats, when Ponting doesn't, did it, T20 cricket was not nearly as yeah. important as it is now. There is so much pressure on Steve Smith. So he des- So I think they should just back off. Yeah, I think MS Dern is the captain. only
2: international captain who's captain on, I think, six years across all three formats. He's the only person. Nobody else in world cricket has been able to do it. So, so
1: I think, yeah, it was undeserved criticism. But out of that, David Warner has uh, been appointed skipper for the rest of this series. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Um, let's look at the 2-1 days that were played. The second one in Colombo, Sri Lanka leveled the series winning by 82 runs. Sri Lanka batted first and made 288. And I think uh, Sri Lanka were able to get away by exposing our part-time bowlers. Head went for 41 of four overs on reeks. Uh, went for 40 off his five overs. That was probably the difference. The fifth and sixth bowler getting carted. But uh, James Faulkner took a hat trick and it was the, the missed hat trick. The only one, I think, in world cricket that knew what was going on was the commentator Brian Murgatroyd. Faulkner didn't know he had a hat trick. Uh, the play, no one knew. I don't think the batsman knew. It was, just, it was a great moment, though.
3: Yeah, it was a great moment. I was watching at the time and it was shouted out from the commentary that it's hat-trick delivery, but the problem was it was over two different overs and so much was happening at that stage. I think... Australia picked up four or five wickets in, in, in a short space of time. So no one knew exactly what was happening. It was probably a good thing. I mean, if you if the bowler
1: doesn't know it's a hat-trick, that's, that's amazing because, uh, I mean, a bowler always knows when they're getting wickets, don't they?
3: They do and they don't. Was, uh, Australia had been um, smashed to all parts of the ground prior to kind of wrapping up the tail quickly. So uh, it was all about trying to bowl your best ball or bowl to a certain plan. And, you know, sometimes bowlers' mentality, they narrow in on what they need to do and they forget everything. Else, it
2: was the first hat trick where um, none of the
1: batsmen were actually dismissed for a duck. He is the sixth Aussie to take a one day international hat trick in that game. Zampa took three for 42, and uh, that goes well with his three for 38 he took in the following one day in the third ODI. So that's six wickets in two games. I think Zampa's locked up that spinning spot now.
3: Yeah, I think he has. I think he, he. He's got great control for a leg spin bowler. You know, he's not looking to turn it big. He's looking to kind of bowl with that consistency. The one that he shoots in at the wickets to get LBWs or bowls seems to work as well. And the the floaty leg spitter outside off where he tempts the batsman to come charging down works for him. So he's figured out a certain formula that works at international cricket or should I say more so for the T20 format. Uh, and he's bringing that into the ODI. So he's a guy that loves to be in the contest. He wants to to be the one that changes the game. He's just got that appetite for that. So I think for a a young leg spinner, that's the right attitude to have and we're starting to see his performances now on the field back up that attitude.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's number one spinner, undoubtedly. And especially when I spoke to him during the IPL, he said the best thing is everyone wants me to, me to be a prototype of Shane Warne. But it's not going to happen. I don't have the big forearms. I don't have the big fingers. So i got to work with what I have. And my strengths are to keep it accurate, bowl stump to stump, and just throw a little bit of variety. And he's been able to do that. And you hit the nail on the head when you said he loves the contest. He wants to be in the contest. so And he loves it, especially he gets a lot of his wickets when batsmen are trying to go after him, which just shows that he has confidence um, and he's able to repeat his action, have his strategies. Undoubtedly, I, I would be even thinking ahead. You, you think he'll go to India for the, for the test six months away?
1: Definitely. So, Australia were chasing 288. They never got close in that second ODI. Warner and Finch went early. Wade was the only Aussie to pass 50, making 76 off 88 balls. Uh, there was a bit of niggle in this game. Um, there was a Thissara Pereira gave Warner an almighty send off. Mitchell Stark had a few words to say. And um, Stark was handed a reprimand for his involvement in a battle with Chandamal. Pereira was fined his match fee for. Uh, A lot of 15% of his match fee for giving it to Warner. So a little bit of uh, fire in the belly between the two sides. Good to see.
3: As it should be. We all understand the spirit of cricket. You don't want to take away the ability that you're in a contest and you're trying to win a game for your country. So every now and again, it's going to get heated as long as it doesn't cross the line. So I don't mind seeing that. I don't mind seeing players get their back up about things. I think it adds to the drama, the atmosphere of The sporting event
1: now I don't know if I said Stark was fine but he wasn't fined for that game it was Pereira but Stark should be fine every time he throws the ball at the batsman in front of the stumps at the strikers end I'm not (laughs) sure why Stark ever thinks that's a good idea because you can always tell when Stark's having a rough day because he'll just (laughs) throw one down at the the striker and he did that again in this game so I think that's one habit he needs to get out of I don't mind a few terse words at the batsman but Throwing the ball out, there
3: might be He's a too far. He's just scuffing off the
2: ball for the, so it can reverse swing quicker. That's all. <laughs> Maybe. Smart,
3: <laughs> Smart guy. Uh, but the,
2: the thing I want to, if if you've created a level one offence, I'm not sure what the ICC rules are, but if you have another level one offence within six months or a year, then you should get a. You know whether that's a three-game ban or I think they you should-
1: know why, Gab? Because in the IPL and the CPL, they endorse all these send-offs. They love it for the TV, so <laughs> it's just creeping into the yeah, international well, game. Well, think about it. We we'll get mean- the Sergeant uh, Cottrell giving the the salute well, send-off Curran
2: soon. I like, his bat at uh, Mitchell Stark, and he was fine to play next game. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't mind the send-off. I got it. It's good theatre. Like the yeah. batsman obviously doesn't have a well, yeah, thing to say back. probably
2: a little bit cowardish, but you don't mind, you know, a couple of bumpers and a few words. I don't mind that. But send off, I think, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I think it's, you know. Lisa,
1: do you back up your slow uh, breaks <laughs> with a send off every now and then? No, I don't. How <laughs> would you classify your bowling? Off spin. Off spin, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Slow off spin. Um, so let's move on to the, the, the third one day international. So it was one all at this point. David Warner made his captaincy debut. Sean Marsh came in for Smith. Hazelwood and Hastings also came in. On Reeks and Lyon both went out. Sri Lanka were all out for two, 226 batting first. Warner marshalled the troops really well. The, the big thing for me I noticed with Warner when he was in the field as captain is he just used the five bowlers. He didn't go to his part-time bowlers at all, which is a, a change of tact from uh, Smithy.
2: Yeah, and I, just watching the IPL, and most well, we teams, go. well, that's where he captained. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, just in the IPL, you, you saw Hyderabad, of course, they were successful, <laughs> they were one of the teams who didn't really bank on a spinner, they still had the pace option, Moses Henrique, Mustafizur Rahman, uh, Kumar, and there was one more, if, but, but I'll get to that, but they didn't bank on a spinner, despite playing in the subcontinent. Again, it looks like I know the selectors picked the 11, but again here, David Warner said, look, our best sort of arsenal is with pace, so let's back that. And so to me, as you said, there was a slight difference in attitude. Maybe it was the pitch, but maybe it was David Warner as well.
3: Well, the pitch certainly didn't spin as much as as the other first uh, two ODIs. I'm a a real believer of using your five bowlers, uh, unless your sixth is seen as a really good bowler, uh, it's not about trying to give everyone a few overs here or there and see who works. It's sometimes your best bowler, let's say, for instance, Mitch Stark goes for plenty in the first and he doesn't get a wicket the first over, well, he should be entitled to come back. Whereas I think if you have six or seven bowlers, you almost feel like, well, hang on, maybe I need to give number six or seven an, an opportunity because my number one didn't quite fire. Well, I think they need to be taken off. And then they need to be given another opportunity. So, by only having five and maybe a part time six in the bank, if one really does go for the journey, I think you should always come back to your five first before you start looking at your year, year six and seventh.
1: Makes sense. And as we saw in the second ODI, head got spanked. The bowlers really combined well to uh, restrict Sri Lanka to 226. I thought it would actually be too much for Australia chasing that. And when Australia slipped, to 3 for 44. Uh, Warner went out early. Finch was given out LBW after getting it off to a dashing start. Walked up the end and it looks like he asked Sean Marsh, should I refer it? Sean Marsh may have said no, don't refer it. We don't know because we're not lip readers. Looked like he was going to miss the stump so he would have been given a reprieve. Then Marsh got out the next over so we were really in trouble at 3 for 44 but what a victory from there. Again, unfamiliar conditions, Head and Bailey combined to put on 62. And I think Travis Head, he looks really good on these decks. He made 30 in the second one, he made 36 in this game. That partnership with Bailey got things back on track. Uh, I think he's a real find.
2: Yeah, I think I like what they did. In the second one, they they bowled him and almost said, You're playing as a a sort of an all rounder who's going to hit the ball a long way at number six or seven. When Travis Head is a number two, sorry, number three or number four batsman. So it's good to get his opportunity in that third game, and he proved. And I think one of the success for Travis Head, watching him bat, was the sweep shot. I mean, him and Matty Wade, who scored a lot of runs through the middle overs in the second one day and also the third, at least as a spinner. So how does it, when you're bowling and the batsman continue to play the sweep shot, that must sort of disrupt your rhythm, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, it is certainly frustrating because you're trying to entice them to drive. And every time... You think you've got the ball that will get them to come out and play a drive. They just seem to sweep. So it it is hard and frustrating, and the sweep shots certainly on the subcontinent is something that everyone needs to bring in their game. It doesn't need to be played all the time, but at least opens up a different area of the field to then hopefully allow the batsmen to play their strengths again. I think what I've enjoyed about Head not only is the sweeps, but he's playing with a vertical bat. And trying to hit to cover in mid wicket, not trying to cut late and cut against the spin and things and like that. And he said that
1: was a conscious decision uh, in a press conference earlier this week. And interesting, in this game, he got out uh, playing a cut shot, which the ball wasn't there, and you could see how annoyed he was at himself because you know he didn't want to play the mm. shot and he played the shot. Uh, but just quick about head, what has impressed me, and I don't know if you two have had any personal contact with him, but his makeup, and you can see now why he was. Made South Australia's youngest ever captain. He has something about him. He's, he's he, that something that you saw in Smith. That that desire to be in the contest. That uh, will like a real challenging situation in Sri Lanka, and he's really stood up to it. Come into the tour when it's going off the rails. So I think, God, oh, what a find!
2: Yeah, he's been mentored by Tim Nielsen, and as well, just last year when he was. Coming uh, from the IPL, he decided to actually spend about four hours with Ricky Ponting and just got basically picked his brains about captaincy, about batting. And you can just tell that's had a big impact on him just coming. He had a terrific Sheffield Shield season, captaincy, and that's led on to, you know, what he's sort of, he's progressed really well and he's only 21, 22. So he still has a
1: lot of cricket left. Sky's the limit. Uh, So from there, when Head got out, uh, Matty Wade came out and partnered with George Bailey, and those two took Australia to within reach of Sri Lanka's target. Matty Wade made 42 off 46, certainly the form player in this One-day series for Australia with the bat. And George Bailey, 70 off 99. My man George, loves the subcontinent, shepherded Australia in tough conditions to a really good victory. And there was a little wobble at the end. Australia were eight down when uh, they got the run. So, you know, had one of our batsmen got out a bit earlier, it's pretty clear the Sri Lankan spinners could have been all over us. So... A really good gutsy win for Australia. They now take a 2-1 series lead. And my opinion, I think Australia should wrap up this series in the next game. This ground down, looks really good for Australia. A bit more pace than the last ground. Big outfield that we're comfortable with. Yeah, what do you guys think? Australia from here?
3: Yeah, I think you'll see Sri Lanka fight back. We're seeing that throughout um, the series over there. But I think Australia's starting to figure out what works well over in those conditions. And the only way we're going to be better at playing spin is to have more opportunity. So I'm glad to see the guys are, are willing to fight it out and have those gutsy innings. And so many times we've seen in other conditions in test cricket, they just seem to fold and before we know it, they're out for, you know, 150 odds. So it's great to see that they're learning that skill. It's hard to teach that skill. The only way you're going to learn it is it being in the, those situations. And I think George Bailey is, his role that he plays in that side. You know, he's not a leader officially, but he plays such a crucial role in that side and to string that batting innings and the people around him to be able to see the game through.
1: Would you go horses for courses when we go to India next year with the test squad? Would you throw out the conventional selecting book and just pick players who you think will succeed on the subcontinent?
3: Yeah, that's what we need to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think someone like Aaron Finch, who for me certainly not a test-opening batsman in Australia with the bounce and the way he plays outside off stump, Maybe he's someone to look at for India. You know, he, can, he seems to be really comfortable with the ball just bouncing, you know, below his waist. So, you know, I think we have to look at those options.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's still six months away. You know, you don't want to... But, as
1: but there's not a lot of cricket in the subcontinent for us the, between no, the, now and then. And we have to ask the, these questions now because... Yeah,
2: I do. But one thing I want to see is last year against the West Indies, the SCG, we didn't have much play because of rain. But last year against the West we Indies, we had a... This Pretty the- much a ranked turner, right? I hope we're playing against Pakistan. Yasir Shah, who's a terrific bowler. I think the pitch should be similar. And just to get us acclimatized... Pitch- I, I don't think
1: it's going to matter. I think Smith said it, and it's a really clear point. The ball is not going to behave the same here as it does. in It Doesn't in matter India.
3: how hard how, we try, we're it's gonna not going to always bounce
1: as correct. much.
2: But yeah. what about the one in Blacktown where the game was caught off? Wouldn't well, isn't that like a four-day subcontinent pitch against New Zealand? Why can't oh. we just replicate that and have center wicket practice? Have four men around the back? Yeah, but
3: center wicket. I don't know. You, you you cannot replicate a Test environment when you're three for nothing. You got. <laughs> fielders around you you've got the pressure of tv everything else that goes with it as much as we'd like to try as as coaching staff try and replicate it you can't and the fact that the men's team is playing so much cricket and playing in so many different venues we've got to be smarter we started you know we you know when one day cricket came in I don't, you know, I don't know what the makeup of the one-day squad was like. Was it the same as the test? It's maybe taken us some time to get one-day specialists. Same with T20. So we need to start going, okay, now we're moving into different areas where the conditions are really different. Let's pick our test team. I mean, we saw Darren Lehman. He's, he played more of his cricket over in the subcontinent than he did for here in Australia. So... He's a prime example. Hopefully he can remember that as a selector and start to pick those players that will perform well in those conditions. I
1: think we have to do it uh, moving forward. But look, that's that's the one-day series. Australia are 2-1 ahead. Uh, should, it bodes well for the rest of the series for Australia. We seem to be getting some form. Gav, you want yeah, to say uh, something? Yeah, well, I mean,
2: Australia's also battered second which I think is a disadvantage given the pitches we've seen so far so hopefully David Warner can win a toss and we can bat first and let's see what Sri Lanka can do batting second under the you know the scoreboard pressure
1: now let's move on now to the second most popular segment on the show it's the sledging quiz now uh... I've I've cleaned up the sledges because uh, Lisa's here. Uh, but the way this game works is basically I'm going to ask and I'm going to ask Gav a sledge. If he knows who said the sledge, he gets a point. If he doesn't know, then Lisa gets a chance to steal the points. And there's uh, six sledges in total. But before we get into the sledging quiz, Lisa, was there much sledging in the women's BBL last year? No, there wasn't. Really, it's pretty polite out there. Oh,
3: actually, uh, a few people might have had a go at my age, so I just said, "Until you have a career like me, then uh, how about you talk to me later?"
1: Interesting. Does um, does Elise Perry fire up her thunderbolts with a few? No,
3: she's too nice. nice. We're all too nice. Well, look, that's nice. Yeah, I think that's
1: that's the way ideally cricket should be played. Um, So sorry, listen, there's no dirt there on the the BBL. So, Gav, you're you're on the hot seat to start this sledge. Question one, Gav. Now, this is a batsman after he got out to a ripper of a delivery. Batsman to bowler. That was a very good ball. Bowler. Aye, and it was wasted on you. Which famous English fast bowler said this? To Freddie Truman. Oh, he's one for one. Gav, look, look at these off the Gav,
3: mark. Gav, oh, I think I'm a bit <laughs> under pressure now.
1: Now, Lisa, this is I a had good no one. I have no idea <laughs> about that one. Uh, this is a more recent one. Thanks. And this is a quote. It's been a long, it's, it's been a bit of a long battle with Harbajan. The first time I ever met him, he was the same little obnoxious Swede that he is now. Which uh, former Aussie opening bat said that? Matthew Hayden? Yep, that's two.
3: Well, Lisa's off the mates, dude. I just thought that that would be something that he would say. <laughs> I didn't actually know that.
1: <laughs> good, good character, good character assessment. Now, Gav, which infamous English skipper said this? Jeez, I'm not a pom here. All Australians are an uneducated and unruly mob. Douglas Jardine, wasn't it? Yeah, two from two, Gav.
3: That's the, he's off his... Gav, bravo. I'm glad you're asking him those ones. More recent for me, this thank you. This is all
1: set up here, Lisa. Yeah, you
3: guys have uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. spoken before. No, yes. no, this is not all set up. Oh. I tried to get
3: some tough ones for Gav.
1: Now, Lisa, mm. which legend of the commentary box said this about Bruce Reid? Well, Bruce Reid is not the worst batsman there is at international level, but those who are worse would not need to hire the Maya Music Bowl to hold a convention.
2: Wow. A Ian Healy?
1: One. A bit cl- a bit older than that one. One more guess.
3: Ian Chappell?
1: Close. Gav, do you want to have a go?
2: Was it Bill Laurie?
1: No, no. It was Richie Benno. The wow. late, oh, okay. great really? Richie Banner,
3: yeah. Maybe you should pretty
1: acerbic for Richie Banner. Yeah,
2: yeah, you should have said it like Richie. Then we would have got a hint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they would
1: have given it away. (laughs) Question five, Gav, staying in the commentary box. Who handed out this serve? The other advantage England has when Phil Tufnell is bowling is that he isn't fielding.
2: Australian commentator.
1: Okay. Uh, Former captain. Have to be Ian Chapel. Yeah, it was. That was that that Chapel written (laughs) all over it. (laughs) <laughs> and finally, Lisa, this is, this, this, this is an easy one. Who said oh, this in Leeds one day? That. You've just dropped the World Cup.
3: Steve Waugh.
1: Yeah, that's my favourite <laughs> sledge. Yay, yeah. I got that one.
3: <laughs> well, well done, Gab.
1: You got, you got three, Lisa got two. That's the best result so far in the sledging quiz. Oh, great. We had Kiwi Bob not yeah. get any. So you've, you've already trumped Kiwi Bob. Well done.
3: What's the best sledge you guys have heard? Oh, a- directed a at me. No, no, no. Or you podcast? might have been around or.
1: <laughs> uh, there's a few that I can't say. Right, okay. <laughs> But
3: oh, what is, I
2: think that Steve Wall one's my favourite one. Yeah, I like Adam Perori's one to Mark Wall. I think it, I'm still the best in the family. I like that one. That yeah. was good.
3: I, I, had, I had one, um, it was a WNCL match and two players hated each other. It was a known fact. Um, one was bowling to the other. The, the batter hit the ball back. And um, bowler picked it up and just stared stared down at her, and the batsman goes, uh, "What are you looking at?" And the bowler went, came back so quick. I don't know. I don't have my animal book with me. (laughs) I thought, bravo. A
1: bit testy in the WNCL. (laughs) Now a new well, the, the second week of a new segment. It's called "Read and React." Last week we debuted. We looked at an article by Steve Smith. This week in the Read and React segment, we have an article by Andrew Wu. And the headline is, Cricket Australia pay system creating a gap between best and the rest, say female players. Now, this is a really good read and react because, Lisa, you were featured in this article. So, it's good that you're here. Uh, uh, (coughs) Let's get into the... Everyone has been talking about all the strides that were made by women's cricket last year. And they were... A huge growth, a massive success, and that's everyone's been talking about. Now we're starting to see some problems surfacing that are associated with the growing pains in women cricket. Let's start with the headline um, is cricket Australia creating a gap between the best and the rest?
3: I don't think that they they are intentionally doing that. you know I think women's sport in general they're trying to get equal rights for the female athletes. cricket Australia have led. I think, in this country and how they've looked after their female athletes. And we see now that the CA contracted players, the, the top players can earn close to 100000 with contract and obviously tour allowances. So... Cricket Australia leading that way, but then we've got to remember about the state players as well. So whilst their income and their salaries has gone up, given we've got WNCL and WBBL, there's still I the the players are talking about a massive gap. You know the fact that they don't necessarily have the same access to the facilities. We're seeing CA players be able to make that decision to become you know semi professional or professional athletes which means that they can travel up to Brisbane at the National Cricket Centre when they want. They have all of the resources and you've still got the state teams, You know, some of them training at 6am in the morning and right at night because they're still juggling work. So it's about making sure that we have the platform in place and everything around them and the resources for that so that state players can then transition nicely.
1: I think the, the men had this problem in the mid-90s when the pay was increasing for the, the, the top-level Australian players but some of the state players were, you know, still part-time teachers and trying to juggle a job and training. So, you know, it happened to the men 20 years ago. With the allocation of resources, do you think they can make more money available from the pool? Is it there?
3: Sorry, in what sense? Well, can
1: they divide, give more money to this, the women state players?
3: I think it's certainly there. I think the fact that... Um I think females contribute to Australian cricket revenue. You know, I buy Foxtel to watch the cricket, women's cricket, men's cricket, whatever it may be. So many females, we're starting to see an increase in female participation, but also there'll be an increase in, in female viewership and things like that. So it goes hand in hand. I think there's certainly, the pot is big enough. Um, obviously, the, the sharing model that has uh, been there for the men's Um, MOU has worked really well and now it's for the female so if cricket is successful then everyone is successful and everyone benefits from it if cricket is not successful then the players aren't paid as well so I think that goes hand in hand and obviously the female players want an agreement want an MOU and and obviously having one MOU for both the male and females is something that um, the Australian Cricketers Association is looking to kind of bring to light in the next 12 months. Um,
2: Just Lisa about women's cricket what system is there through sort of junior cricket i mean if somebody wants to go watch you know some under 16s women's cricket what what i mean process is in place at the moment
3: Yeah, look, Cricket Australia and the state associations have done a wonderful job. When I first started playing, there wasn't any junior girls' competitions at all. So I played boys' cricket and then there was obviously the women's grade cricket. Now there are actually junior female uh, competitions. So uh, we've got in Sydney, you've got the Sydney Sixers League and the Sydney Thunder League and uh, you've also got um, underage T20 Blast. So there's so many different formats, which I think we'll talk about later in the show that allows all different levels, um, regardless of your gender as well. So the pathways are excellent. And that's why I think Australia has been very dominant in international cricket, because I think our pathways and the pro- programs that we've put in place have allowed those players to continue to develop and grow. What do you think about
1: other sportswomen from other sports trying their hand at cricket now with the success of the BBL?
3: I think it's great. You look at the, the population of... Athletes, And it's a very small population. And normally, whoever's been good at hockey, tennis, cricket, have normally tried their hand in other sports. So we're starting to see some girls come across and switch to a certain degree. We saw Ash Barty play. You know, she enjoyed the experience of being part of a team atmosphere instead of being on the road by herself. So cricket has those type of advantages compared to those individual sports Um we're seeing, I know Cricket New South Wales just recently have been running a trial for any elite athlete that's represented their state or anything higher uh, in other sports. So we've seen, I think, a few softballers, uh, Kate Hollywood from hockey. We've seen Matilda Carmichael, who was a hockey-roo over in WA, who's now signed with the the Perth Scorchers for WBBL and also the Western Australia Fury. She used to play cricket as she was growing up here in New South Wales, but obviously hockey took its preference and now she's decided to come back and try and juggle both. So I think it's great. I think uh, we want to see as many multi-talented athletes out there.
1: It's great for the headlines. I think T20 does lend itself to that sort of multi-skilled athlete just coming in and hitting the ball hard and being mobile in the field and being able to, you know, bowl and catch, whereas it's not as technical as the other forms of the game Do do these other sportswomen get a free pass? I mean, are they sort of coming in over the top of other women's cricketers that have been working hard to get up the run?
3: I don't know what the system is in place this year, but I know Ash Barty obviously played club cricket, trained with the uh, Queensland Fire Squad and then obviously got given a contract. So she still had to do the work. Mm. um, And I'm sure also the fact that these type of athletes, when they switch sports... I'm sure that they're so determined to to prove themselves and to fit in that they're actually going to do a lot of the work. And they've probably got uh, the facilities and and the inner drive that maybe a young cricketer is still trying to learn. So they might pick up the skills a little bit quicker. I don't think there's a free ride anywhere. I think, uh, you know, they're not going to be given a contract and all of a sudden be in the playing 11. I think they're certainly going to be given the resources to help and see if they can get to a certain level. But I doubt they'll be given a free ride.
1: And what are your expectations for the BBL this summer coming up? You're obviously running around for the Sixers. What do you think? Obviously, will it grow more? We're going to see more talent. Uh, The level of play, I would expect, would go up now.
3: Absolutely. The fact that... The state plays. a lot of them have never been on TV. They've never had cameras in their change rooms. They never had to speak to reporters coming off or on the field. So it was a, um, a daunting experience for a lot of those girls. So um, sometimes it brought the best out of certain players and sometimes it got the worst out of them as well. So I think we'll see the standard improve. Uh, I think uh, clubs and franchises will have a better idea of how to bring a group that's been thrown together. So, f- for instance, the Sixers, we're, we're a, a side that's been made up of internationals, uh, in other interstate players and a couple of the, the New South Wales breakers. So we had to gel pretty quickly and obviously we didn't at the start. So I think franchises will have a better idea. I know Channel 10 is doing some really wonderful things. The fact that there's going to be four uh, games on a weekend, uh, 10th and 11th of December, I think double headers um and on saturday night at 6 p.m it'll be on channel 10 uh we'll be broadcasting the melbourne stars versus the sydney thunder so prime time you know it's the first time that's going to happen so from a, a broadcast point of view i think channel 10 is working really well with cricket australia just to add to what the success that we saw last year
2: and few more international players coming across as well
3: Oh, I believe so. Um, So we're going to see the first Indian uh, player to play in any kind of T20 franchise. So Harman Preet Kaur comes in uh, to the Sydney Thunder. So hopefully that will open the door for other international athletes, but still probably predominantly South African, English and New Zealand Zealand. and West Indies, sorry.
1: Well, great stuff. We're all very excited about it. Best of luck with the Sixers (laughs) next season. Uh, It's going to be an exciting competition. Now if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, OzCricketpod, AUSCricketpod at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at OzCricketpod. You can find us on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. Please rate and review the show on whatever app or iTunes that you listen to the show on. Would love to get your feedback. Thank you to Chrissy for the great review this week. Much appreciated. And uh gonna. I'm going to play now a sound of Gav commentating on a controversial incident up north, and we'll be right back.
2: Maybe 300 might be on the card here. Well, there's a shout, and he's given, and Pandey is not happy. So straight away when the appeal went up, Pandey basically was indicating that he'd hit the ball. There's an inside edge. Pandey's certainly not very happy.
1: Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was Gavin Action co- commentating on a controversial incident in the uh, Australia A Series up north when Panday was unhappy with his dismissal. You were right on the ball there, Gav, with that one. Now, Gav, I want you to help the listeners out. You were up north with the Australia A and the MPS and... Lisa, you're up there, so you might be able to chime in on this. If if any of our listeners go to the pub or they're on Twitter or whatever and they want to impress their friends and throw up two names of Australian cricketers for the future to watch out for, if they want two names to impress their mates, what two names should they suggest as Australian cricket stars of the future?
2: First one is Hilton Cartwright. He comes from Western Australia. He's come across from Zimbabwe when he was 10 years old. He's a hard-hitting batsman, but... Suddenly in this tournament, he's had his opportunity right up the top of the order. It's the first time he's sort of open in sort of a major Was tournament. he in Ausea
1: or NPS?
2: He's in the NPS team. He's 23, 24, so he's quite mature, if you can say that, because the rest of the guys are very raw, 18, 19. But he's one to watch out for. There's so many sort of that all-rounders coming through. He can bowl as well. He can bowl around 130. What I was impressed with, with his bowling, he can bowl at the death. He loves the challenge, and his batting's really evolved. He has a good technique. He can hit the ball hard. He can fit in, you know, number five, number six, and he also showed that he can open the batting. So keep a lookout for him. He'll be part of the Perth Scorchers, um, and I'm expecting he might, with Mitch Marsh playing a lot of Shield test cricket, he might get a run in, in the Western Australian Shield side this year, maybe batting at number six or even seven. So look out for him. So he's one star uh, definitely to keep your eyes on.
1: White or red ball?
2: White and red ball. Predominantly more white at the at this moment. He hasn't played or a pink lot of... ball.
1: Yeah. Shouldn't forget the pink ball. <laughs> yeah.
2: Hasn't played a lot of shield cricket. But um, yeah, look out for him in the white ball. Matador Cup, also look out for him.
1: And one more name. Give it to me.
2: Well, I'm still going to stick with... I'm going to go towards Glenn a red Maxwell. Ball. He's over in Sri Lanka. So um, Sam Hazlitt, I thought Lisa would have been there when he scored that 100. He, he just looks... He looks like a... A little bit like Simon Kadic, you know, he's, with his trigger movements and so forth. But he's compact with his defense. Now, we don't get a lot of openers like that anymore. He likes to graft a lot of runs, similar like Cameron Bancroft, who's emerging. He scored 100 up in uh, in Townsville. He scored 100 on first-class debut as well. Coming through, these are the two guys to really keep your eye out on. But also, in terms of bowling, I'm just going to throw in also... I said two, Gav. Yeah, one more. Come on.
1: <laughs> this is how you really impress the yeah, friend. T- t- Not just two, t- three. Three players to watch.
2: T- t- uh, Tom O'Donnell. He was a star a couple of days back. He's a left-arm seamer, son of Simon O'Donnell. Action like Mitchell Stark. He's tall. He can get the ball through. Still a lot of development to be done, but, yeah, he's one in the future, next couple of years.
1: Well, thank you for that one, Gav. Um, now, there was interesting issue we had in Mackay but it followed on from two test matches that were abandoned in bright sunshine we had in the West Indies a game abandoned then we had in South Africa then we had in Mackay uh, the game was abandoned because the, the water a waterlogged outfield now it's not a good look for cricket when you're you're abandoning matches in the sunshine is it
2: no I mean but full credit I mean if Anybody living in North of Queensland would know when it rains, it, it's a downpour. It rains for you know a couple of days, or they get a month's rain in basically a day, and that's what happened in Mackay. I think three days before the matches was about to move down from Townsville to Mackay, they had such a huge downpour. It's just so hard for the ground staff to basically you know sop all that rain up. And, and the outfield are probably not in the same condition because we're so used to playing at international stadiums. I know you talk about the West Indies and, of course, Durban, where they're international stadiums. They have no excuses. But in Mackay, you expect these kinds of things to happen.
1: Don't you think we have to be more careful, though, scheduling these fixtures?
3: Well, it, it's a hard one because you want to take the game to different communities. Um, the fact that Mackay, Townsville don't necessarily have international fixtures... Uh, you want to expose the game to as many corners of the country that you can. So it goes part and parcel. The change rooms aren't going to be as good as uh, the first-class venues. They're not going to have the drainage underneath the ground like the international stadiums. Uh, But it's all part of the experience, I think, and I think the players understand that. But, yes, when the sun is shining, you want to be playing cricket, but that's not always the case.
2: And the other thing is weather patterns are changing all around the world. I mean, they said it never rains up in Townsville and Mackay in the month of August. But here you are—you suddenly get a heavy downpour. So,
3: well, if you want to, if you want to bring rain to any part of country, <laughs> uh, of for Australia, just put on probably women's cricket as well. We <laughs> seem to bring the rain. So, <laughs> well,
1: we have got a bit of global global warming talk there, Gab. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It's not the IPL's fault. It's global warming's fault. Yeah, warming no, it's global
2: warming. There you go.
1: And let's finish off uh, with a bit of history that was made in the Laundaya. The England v. Pakistan, we saw a no-ball called uh, with the use of a, a pager. We had the third umpire look at a camera, they, then they slow it down and they show a replay of the foot landing, and then if the third umpire sees it's a no-ball, he sends a signal to the umpire who, who has a, r- a wrist pager that vibrates, and um, that's how they call no-balls. Now. now, Hassan Ali was the first p- player called with the new system. It was kind of a, an interesting moment. He bowls the ball... To, I think it was just a dot ball, and then a couple of seconds later, the umpire puts his arm up and calls no ball. I thought thought it worked really well. What do you guys think of that system?
3: I don't mind it. I think it's I think it's good. It, it ensures that the no balls are picked up because I think fast bowlers love to bowl them. They bowl them in the nets, so I'm sure they bowl more in the game. The interesting thing was is that batsmen always say, "Oh, if I hear it, then I can play and change my shot." I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't think they've got that ability to quickly do things like that, but I think it just adds to the integrity of the game.
2: Yeah, I think what the batsman can do is, if somebody has put out the arm and saying no ball, is if you've hit a ball out into the outfield and you know it's a no ball, you might not risk that second run, or if it's gone down leg side and the keeper's fumbled it. That's the only advantage, I think. But as you said, I mean, you've got a fraction of second. I'm sure you can't react well. You have to be a genius. I mean, apart from Ab De Villiers, probably nobody can do
1: it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Jeff Allardyce, the ICC general manager, was interviewed on te- Test Match Special. And he said their studies indicate that at the high level, no one is changing their shot at the no ball. Interesting point you made about the running between the wickets. I didn't sort of think about that one, but after the problems we had with non no balls being called and we had in test matches i mean Vogue just when he was bowled against dougie bracewell and then batted all the next day it makes those errors so visible and the fact that we have all this amazing technology you can you know you can do everything with your phone and it, surely this system with a pager on your wrist will be fine-tuned enough that it will be sufficient to, to give something less for the umpires to think about and they can concentrate on getting the other decisions correct.
3: Yeah they do have to we have to consider the umpires who the game has changed the frantic pace and to be able to look down look up all those type of things it's it's a hard it's a hard skill I've done it once and I hated umpiring so never again so I, I um I uh, commend the umpires that do that put themselves out there especially now with tv you're right, it's so noticeable now if they make a mistake, but they've got to be just as resilient as well.
2: It's more the return crease as well. We see a lot of left <coughs> armors go around the wicket, and to just keep an eye out on the return crease as well as the front bowling crease, it's such a challenge. And as you mentioned, there's so much spotlight on them.
1: Yeah, it's it's big changes in world cricket. We're also seeing the second day-night test will be played between Pakistan and the West Indies in Dubai. So that means we've got that test, then we've got two in Australia. So by Christmas, we've had four day-night tests. That's certainly the way of the future. Glad Pakistan and the West Indies are doing it because Dubai seems perfect for day-night cricket. So hot during the day. Everyone works. During the day, and then they can come to the cricket afterwards. What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, it's about engaging the fans. That's that's the real reason around um, pink ball test cricket. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed watching the Adelaide Test because we all of a sudden saw. A contest between bat v ball. I and mean, as soon as the lights went down, you you knew exactly that there was a change in conditions and there was going to be a real contest on at some stages. Sometimes we've seen test cricket just kind of bat out the whole day, and we might see, you know, we wait till the fourth or fifth day when the wicket crumbles or something like that or reverse swing. Here you've got those different elements. So, Yes, it's going to take some time um, for the players to get used to. and we've got to make sure that the ball is good enough as well, that players firstly can see it and um, that it holds up for the 80 overs and obviously Cricket Australia and other national boards are, are working hard with the producers to get that right. And once it's right, um, and we still have to keep trialling it, once that's right, it, it's, it's going to be probably the future of Test Cricket.
1: What about Dubai? Is that known for having dew at night?
3: Yeah, it would
2: be. But around October, it might be okay. Because that'll be a good test for India. Well, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. But definitely, it's a good idea. I think dew factor around October, what I've been told, is not as severe as maybe you come around January or February or around March time.
1: Yeah, because India had plans to hold a day-night test this year, but Mm. they, they shelved them, I think, concerns with you were part of that process and maybe Dubai will help work through this well
2: they're conducting their sort of delete trophy which is going on it just finished last week um and first couple of days it seems to the ball seemed to do a fair bit I think one team got 160 170 yeah all the out. team was
1: seven down but uh, yeah
2: but but then come day three I'm not sure how, if the conditions changed but one team was able to score 500 or 600 odd so definitely it As that balance, and that's what you really want to see in cricket, I think the challenge, what I'm hearing, is they want to make absolute rank-turning surface and see how the ball behaves, because that's where India's Test match strengths are. If that works out, you might see a Test match maybe in January against England.
1: Well, exciting stuff for Test cricket. I guess we should end the Australian cricket podcast for this week. We've we've talked. We've covered all the issues. Lisa Stalaker, thank you so much for coming and joining us this week on the show.
3: No worries, any time.
1: Uh, we'll be watching out for you uh, on the playing field next summer. Gav, thanks for coming back. Thanks, mate. Welcome back, Gav. <laughs> good, good, good effort commentating up there. <laughs> and listeners, thank you so much for downloading the show. We'll be back next week with another edition. What a marvelous strike! He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social
0: Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash.